Hi, I'm Leslie Gray. And I'm Joanna Barron. Welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast, where women get smart about money. We'll share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finances, getting started with investing, and building wealth. Today, we are chatting with Suzanne Ennis, a chartered investment manager, financial services, and emerging technology innovation champion, and an advisor. Susie is currently the Senior Vice President at Shift Network International, which is a network for assigning trust and validation into data. Susie has over 15 years experience in reshaping traditional industries by introducing disruptive technologies to solve business challenges and create competitive advantages, while also promoting social and financial inclusion. And today, Susie explains her financial journey and upbringing, which led her to embracing radically open-minded ideas of financial technology. She breaks down blockchain and Bitcoin very effectively. She describes how cryptocurrency can be an alternative investment to hedge market drops. And she explains how despite perceptions of blockchain grow culture, she has found it to be a radically inclusive space. And this episode totally inspired me to actually buy crypto. So I hope you enjoy. Enjoy. Welcome, Susie, to the Love and Dividends podcast. Uh, Susie's here with us because she reached out to Joanna and I. I believe she and perhaps her book club are listeners to the podcast. And uh, she requested being a guest. So just wanted to put it out there. If anyone listening uh, wants to add anything, this genuinely works. We respond on LinkedIn, we respond on Instagram, and we love getting emails at hello at love and dividends. Susie, thank you so much for reaching out and joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to chat with you ladies today. How's your quarantine life situation, Susie? Good. Like I was saying, (laughs) leaning into the coconut oil hair masks on business calls and podcasts and yeah, great. Amazing. Yeah, me too. I my part of my morning routine is wearing this creepy LED mask that makes me look like a villain from Star Wars. Um, um, and I love it. My like my skin's never looked better. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, so Ooh. tell us a little bit about your career. Um, you have so many cool things you're involved in. But one of the things that obviously jumped out at us is that you are a woman in the blockchain space, which we will talk about specifically. Mm-hmm. But can you just talk a bit about your career, the things you've done, what you're passionate about? Um, give us give us the rundown because you seem to be a very complex and fascinating woman. Well, thank you. Um, so, OK, so born and raised in Toronto, um, oldest of three children. Um, And I grew up with two parents who were money managers. So my mother was a broker and trader in the 80s until the early 90s and retired when she was 40. And my my God, did she wear those like working girl, like 80s power shoulder suits? Oh, my God. You don't even know. Oh, and she would walk to the subway and my mom would walk to the subway with like in her power suits with like the push the white push socks and like white sneakers yeah no that was her loot big time it's amazing Um, (laughs) and then my dad was also a money manager and just retired about uh six months ago um sold his book Uh, he was at td so point is i grew up um in a household you know where we talked about stocks, talked about the markets at the dinner table, you know, where interest rates going, what's the Fed saying, yada, yada, yada. 
However, simultaneously, my parents also, from, you know, as long as I can remember, encouraged me to not get into the capital market space. They absolutely did not want me doing it. I don't know if it was partially because my dad didn't particularly want me joining him in the business, or if it's more so that, you know, they survived like the 80, the 1987 flash crash, the tech bubble, um, the internet bubble, uh, and had seen, you know, like my, my mom's business partner in the early nineties actually flew his plane into the ground and like committed suicide because he had over levered himself and then got a margin call. So I think that they had just seen so much chaos, um, respectively from their decades of being in the industry that they just didn't want me or my brother or sister being a part of it. So I was like, all right, okay, no problem. Going to university, studied political science, you know, obviously watched the movie Aaron Brockovich, thought I wanted to be Aaron Brockovich. So, um, okay, you know, thought I was going to go. Another <laughs> badass 80s lady. So right? I, I was yeah. so, <laughs> and I like, was like, you're talking to two lawyers, like you've got us. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, no, right. I was like, this is my jam. Um, so did political science at McMaster university. Um, and then immediately went and started working at a law firm was there for about two and a half years, like wrote the LSATs, et cetera, but was going to actually try working for a bit in a law firm, um, before actually going to law school, but, um, realized didn't love it. Didn't love the idea that I didn't have um, no. much control. I know. You don't, you didn't love being a soulless <laughs> lawyer? A never heard yeah. of that. Like, a I've slave. never heard that <laughs> feedback before. Yeah, slave life was not exactly for me. Um, so, so uh, well, you know, while I was working, I worked there for about two years. I had a friend who was working at Xerox, and he was like, look, if you want a little bit more control over outcomes and, you know, more control of your income, why don't you come try, you know, working at Xerox with me? Um, again, yes, it was selling photocopiers, but you know, some selling photocopiers to large enterprise, like some of your commission payouts were pretty crazy. You could make like 30, 40 grand in a month. And when you're 24, 25, that's like crazy money. So, so I said, sure. Okay. So yeah, I went B2B, to B2B. B2B is a solid space, uh, you know, recession proof yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah. Except I, um, went to work at Xerox and was selling photocopiers in 2008. So obviously the first, the first recession. And I actually did incredibly well. And part of me, well, first of all, number one, it, it helped me get my black belt in self-esteem because you're effectively like, it doesn't really get any lower than selling photocopiers in a recession. Like you're effectively a bottom feeder of society. Or at least that's how it felt for me back then. Um, door slammed in your face and it was 100% commission. Um, so again, I really feel like I got my black belt and self-esteem and learned to just pick up the phone and call. Um, and I ended up actually being one of the top sales reps. Uh, and I also partially think that's because some people who I called to try and sell a photocopier were so shocked that I even had the audacity to talk to them about photocopiers in such a chaotic time that I actually got the meetings. So um, like the world is burning your portfolio yeah, like, has gone to zero how about a photocopier yeah, <laughs> i love it like, see you at 2 p.m paul and people will be like really you're calling me <laughs> so so yeah and then but so i did that for a couple of years but um i actually found myself during this time reading for fun books like peter lynch's beat the street you know warren buffett's um biography and then it just dawned on me like f this i'm if i'm doing this for fun why not actually try and get into this and do this for a career so 
you know, talked to my parents about it and said, look, I'm 25, 26 here. You can't, you really can't keep telling me what I'm supposed to do with my life and with my career. And if I'm doing this for fun, like why not just get started? So yeah, so that's what got me into the capital market space. Um, you know, started out at the bottom with in client services, um, and then eventually went into the small and institutional retail side selling um ETFs at a large asset management firm. And that was great. So I was there for about four or five years. I was I was between two different asset management firms, but I loved it. Like it was hardcore selling, commissions, you know, learning about the markets, pivoting, um, obviously learning about how to invest, why to invest, you know, got my chartered investment manager designation. Um, so I am, you know, legally entitled to run money. But in about 2016, I was starting to feel weirdly burnt out. And I mean, I plan, I'm someone who plans on working until literally I die because I, I like working. I like making an income. I like getting up in the morning and having, you know, things to Amen. do, things to read. Retirement yeah. sounds like, yes, yeah, such a hell. Drag. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Right? I'm going to take a counter position. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm doing all of this because I'm like, I'm like, I want to be an old bitty loving life. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But you're, but you're probably like <laughs> a hot young like doing crazy I am hours a hot your firm. Great. And doing call. crazy hours, right? Yeah. So I, I get you're it. Right. I can understand how some people are into that subscription. But um, so yeah, but no, no, we like, I was like, yeah. So about four or five years into that, I was like, this is, I am way too young to be this understimulated and frustrated because I was also working with back offices. So I was seeing what happens in the large asset management firms when, um, you know, the back office isn't talking to the front office, the, the amount of things that can go wrong in, ter- in terms of trade settlement, um, you know, just, just really the lack of innovation in terms of existing processes and the lack of encouragement by um, the heads of the firm to embrace innovation, to maybe improve and streamline processes. So, so I was getting a bit frustrated and started to just start doing research about like, like there's gotta be some tech out there that's starting to solve for these like truly prehistoric dinosaur systems that are running a lot of the financial services industry so started doing some research um, and yeah, blockchain, this is 2016, blockchain came onto my radar. Um, learned about blockchain first before I really learned about what Bitcoin was about, but um, basically left my job at the end of 2016 because I was like, I'm doing this. I want to absolutely get into the blockchain space, you know, at least disruptive tech space. Um, and it took me about two years, though, I'd say, of like hardcore networking and convincing people at startups that I wasn't just a financial douchebag jumping on a bandwagon. Um, so quite, it took me a while to actually get into like truly where I am right now in the blockchain space. Um, but yeah, I'm now the senior vice president of Shift Network International. And we're basically we're an open source identity distributed blockchain sorry, focused on identity. Um, and basically, how do you bridge old and new ways of transferring identity? So we work with a lot of governments that are trying to upgrade their infrastructure so that there's less um, silos of data and less copies of identity floating around. Um, and we're basically providing them with with the highway to to transfer identity using the blockchain um, just in, in a more in a more efficient um, and safe and secure way. Um, 
and yeah, we're also doing some stuff in the capital market space as well with respect to um, the financial action task force travel rule and, um, you know, working with regulators on how do you, you know, regulate these crazy crypto wild west and Bitcoin um, transfer systems and, and that sort of thing. So, so that was sorry, that was a really long winded answer, but that's that's how I got to where I am today. Not at all. All great stories have a great adventure tale. So we love it. Um, so, but on that note, what we'd love you to walk us and our listeners through is how blockchain and distributed ledgers actually work and why it's so revolutionary and, and what it's ultimately yeah. backed by. I was so intrigued because I know your bio references radically open-minded ideas in the fintech space. Um, so I think we'd love a sort of bare bones explanation of of what those are, how they work. And yeah, yeah I'd like a sure. woman's take on this, because as I'm sure you know, everybody, everybody goes into these crazy metaphors when they try to yeah. explain how this stuff works. And I just feel like it's almost a pissing match. So please, like, oh, totally. share some share, share some like actual grokked wisdom with us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, and, and everyone also why... pretends they know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, everyone's God. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I know oh. about blockchain. It's Bitcoin, I'm in the right? space. Like, I'm in the yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's. I mean, I've been in the space for about two and a half years, and I can honestly say I still like. I'd say daily, I'm like, "Huh?" When I'm on a call <laughs> with my CTO and talking with some of my dev teams, like anyone who says they know anything or everything about blockchain is lying. Um, cause the industry and the tech itself is constantly evolving, but that's also what I love about it. Um, and also I know we're going to get into this later in the podcast, but I loved your question about, um, the bro culture and Bitcoin and blockchain. It's so funny. And I definitely will get into that later. Um, okay. So you can, here's how I look at and I describe Bitcoin and the blockchain. So the TCP IP is the open source protocol that the internet is effectively built on. So it's open. It's a coding protocol that anyone can build on. So obviously who built on it? You have the Googles, you have the Facebooks of the world. So Bitcoin and the Bitcoin blockchain is, is built in the exact same vein in terms of it's a protocol, it's a coding, it's a cryptographic design um, that is open source so anyone can access it as long as you've got an internet connection. Um, but it's an open source protocol and code and design for exchanging value on the internet. So it's like a code and a coding system for currencies on the internet. But what makes it different um, different than, let's just say, like a digital Canadian dollar or a U.S. dollar on the internet um, that you can use over like a PayPal payment rail is the fact that it's not controlled by any central authority. So part of the whole reason why Bitcoin was born, and it was born by this group or this man or this woman called Satoshi Nakamoto, um, whose who's basic basic tenant was the root problem with conventional currencies is that there's trust to acquired, sorry, trust required to make them work. But the problem is that you have a small elite group class, group of citizens, group of people who are actually making all these decisions and controlling these currencies on behalf of the masses. So, so yeah, does that, does that make sense that it's, it's, it's like the internet, but it's the exchange of value built similar to built similarly in the in a similar vein as to how the internet was built that does make sense but i think my question would be okay so then if we're not backing it up by this government authority by this authority then what how do we know it has any value like how 
What is it yeah. backed by? Yeah. So, so, so it's backed by the Bitcoin blockchain, which is a distributed ledger. So anyone who can log on, like it's, it's, it's got a, it's got a website and an address, just like any other sort of website or address does. Um, and that's the, the Bitcoin blockchain. And it's maintained by miners and nodes. And these are, and it's also distributed throughout like hundreds of thousands of computers throughout the world. Like if you wanted to actually start um, running a Bitcoin node or become a miner yourself, you could absolutely do that right now. So nodes are entities that actually maintain the ledger and miners are um, groups who are incentivized to um, confirm when each new transaction is put on the ledger. And no one can put a transaction on the ledger like, again, it's a public bulletin board that no one can change unless all the hundreds of thousands of computers and miners and nodes all agree. Yep. Math. The math checks out, like solved the problem. Great. Let's put in this new information onto the public bulletin board. So it is tamper proof. So you have nodes and miners um, and they are effectively in charge of running and maintaining that ledger. And why do they do that? Because when they when miners, for example, confirm that, you know, um, uh, like a transaction has gone through, um, they confirm and approve and then get paid once they actually um, confirm that cryptographic math problem to add another to add another transaction to to um, the public bulletin board to the blockchain ledger. Um, and it's a race because there's lots of thousands of miners all over the world and everyone's racing to solve this one math problem once it comes through, once the request is pinged to the network to add a new transaction to the ledger. Um, and so whoever solves it first, and it costs a lot of energy and it costs a lot of time and computational power. But if you do solve it, then you actually get paid in Bitcoins, in freshly minted Bitcoins, which are very valuable because they have no history attached to them. And obviously there's, you know, and we'll get into it later, but there's some talk about, well, I mean, there's concerns, obviously, about Bitcoins having been on the black market and that and that sort of thing. So so you've got these miners and these nodes who are effectively paid out by the cryptography itself, by Bitcoin itself um to maintain the ledger okay so that's super helpful so that's how we get this sort of peer-to-peer -peer banking system that cuts out the middleman and makes it fashionable to get rich by sticking it to the man but how would you Correct. describe what you're actually buying if you buy and uh we should distinguish this that there's bitcoin that there's ether that there's ripple like that there's various yeah. currencies you can yeah. buy but how would you describe what you're actually buying are you buying a unit of that computational power that you yes. described okay sorry you're not buying a unit of the computational power you're you, you're buying a unit of that like cryptography of that computational cryptography And can it's you, finite. Can you unpack and that what, computational yeah, cryptography. Yeah. It sounds yeah, awesome. Sorry. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, you are technically buying a unit of the computational power, but I just don't yeah. want to mix that up because there's also hashing power, which is what um, miners put all of their vast amounts of electricity to to solve the problem to actually make the next block on on the blockchain. Um, but yeah, you could, you could, you could sort of say that it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure you, have you guys heard about how people liken Bitcoin to digital gold? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's cause it's, it's a, it's a code it's an, and it's a cryptography that is finite. And so you're getting a little piece of that finite source code. And there's only 21 million that will ever be of those little bits of source code that will ever be in circulation. So you're getting, you're getting a finite piece of code 
that function on that functions on the internet in a particular way that has an entire network and ecosystem um, using it. Badass. Okay, so the next sense? question is yes, you're it, okay. Sweet, that was awesome. Helpful. Although, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, like a Rubik's Cube. Uh, and as you say, the ground is constantly shifting uh, under our oh, feet. Yeah, but I just read a New Yorker article yesterday about this, about like the wizards of Bitcoin, like Vitalik Buterin and all of these yeah. people. And they will say openly that my understanding is like a nine out of 10. And that's like yeah. crazy. That's like beast mode. He's like, but most traders in the space, they probably have a two out of 10. Um, oh, big time. So, yeah, so I feel good that I'm like a 0.5 out of 10, uh, thanks to you, possibly. <laughs> well, yeah, and, we're and registering. Funny. You can yeah. get a reading now. Yeah. It's so funny, too. So Vitalik Buterin, um, his brother, like like the the founder of the company I work for right now, they're like, oh, geez, in the Bitcoin game, like original gangsters, like 2009. Mm -hmm. I don't mean gangsters in terms of black market stuff, but um so Vitalik, Vitalik Buren's brother is actually um one of is is on our board and and one of the um sort of founding fathers of our of um my company and yeah it's 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 funny that even the creators of some of the most monumental pieces of this ecosystem are still like yeah I I'm still learning daily um and yeah. solving problems daily so yeah. yeah. So how how do you think? So it seems like uh, blockchain um, is a revolutionary technology that is still awaiting its killer app. Like we know yeah. how email sort of triggered mass adoption of the Internet and the iPhone um, made it made email pretty. Um, so what do you think might need to happen for blockchain to become a sort of every, everyday household thing rather than this esoteric technology uh people talk about the internet of things and i know that now governments and big banks are getting involved which yeah. could be counters the original mission but i'm just curious to hear your thoughts about this yeah so i would say the killer app is already sort of in progress so you've got about 1.8 billion people in the world who have no access to formal identity or formal um financial systems and Bitcoin and blockchain is the answer to that. So for, okay, so let, let me elaborate on that. Um, and I actually missed one piece in terms of my career story. So when I was actually in 2017, um, I didn't really get into blockchain until in crypto until the late end of 2017. But in 2017, I actually went to the Amazon and did a jungle survival course there for two weeks. And it was hell on earth, like way harder than I thought it was going to be. But you're um, so well prepared but, for coronavirus now. You're oh like, my no God, problem. Whatever. <laughs> I was like, anyway. this is probably the first and only reference to Amazon on this. That's not the business. I'm like, Amazon training? Cool. <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's coming. Trust me. I still have a reference to Amazon too later. But so we, so we actually, so there's five of us who were like really deep into the heart of this Amazon jungle. Um, led by this ex-special British forces officer who was basically teaching us, obviously, how to survive in the jungle. Um, and we had tribesmen from a local tribe down there follow us just because it is dangerous. Like, there are jaguars. There are, like, a million ways. It's like, choose your own adventure as to how you'd like to die in the jungle. Like, you, you'll find it. So we had these tribesmen who were following us around and just making sure that we were safe and sort of listening out for us. Um, and I noticed that a few of them didn't have 
any idea when they were born. They had zero formal identification, um, had no idea when their birthdays were, although, again, they looked pretty old. But they um, had cell phones and they accepted payment in Bitcoin because it was the only way that they were actually able to participate somewhat in the financial services system because then subsequently they could go and pay for goods in town using cryptocurrency. And then those um, retailers who took the cryptocurrency could then exchange it for fiat. So, so that was really the tipping point for me. And I think really truly is one of the, one of the few killer apps um, that are available and that Bitcoin and blockchain makes available is it's, it's a means for people who don't have formal identity or access to the financial services system to participate. Um, and also I'm sure, you know, with, with some of the stuff, you know, going on right now um, with this coronavirus being the tipping point and basically popping the bubble um, in the U S uh, it's a, it's a hedge against inflation against QE infinity. Um, you know, you've got hundreds of billions being spent on um, corporate bailouts on basically the U.S. government propping up these zombie companies. You know, I read somewhere that um, some of the airlines took advantage of the cheap credit available in the past couple of years um, and spent about 80 percent of their money on stock buybacks. And um, which that's obviously, possibly why Warren Buffett dumped all his airline stocks. He's yeah, like, but, but it, trash. <laughs> oh, totally. But I mean, and, and instead of and obviously doing stock buybacks to the share price, in turn, that makes the executives look really good. They all get their bonuses. But, you know, did that money could have easily been deployed towards uh, investing in tech or making sure that they had a, a rainy day fund or were able to take care of their um you know, workers in the event of a crisis, there's not just the airlines, you're getting tons of these corporate bailouts, and basically a Fed and Canada is going to have to start doing the same thing too, of just printing and printing and printing and printing money. Um, and what happens when you have QE infinity, there's too many dollars in the system, which means eventually prices are going to go up. But if you raise rates, this raises the cost of servicing your debt and the US is the number one borrower. So so point is, this this puts a lot of people at a disadvantage. Um, and again, this is where having a currency that functions on the internet like a digital dollar that has built-in supply controls that no one is controlling, that no one can just casually create or take away from you, um, is is sort of the real is another real sort of killer application of um, of Bitcoin. And if you look at what's going on. So, so sorry, I'm sort of going all over the map here. One of the main components of Bitcoin is this guy named Wences Cesares. And he's a guy out of Argentina. Um, and when Bitcoin came out in 2008, 2009, he said, I've absolutely got to get into this. This resonates with me because he saw his family's net worth inflated away three times in Argentina in the 90s. If you look at Lebanon right now, the price of Bitcoin is at a 100% premium in Lebanon versus in North America right now because the Lebanese banks have officially now put supply controls into how many U.S. dollars people can take out from their own bank accounts. So people are like, what the heck is this? And again, but Bitcoin is that vehicle that as long as you've got an internet access, you can go on and buy it and either A, use it as a hedge against inflation or even potentially use it as um, an on-ramp to get more U.S. dollars if you don't have access, if you're in a foreign country and you you have to buy things in U.S. dollars, but you don't have access to U.S. dollars right now because there's been a rush, rush to cash. 
in US dollars um, because you can also access them through stable coins, which are another cryptocurrency that's backed one to one to US dollars. And those have grown in market cap from about 6 billion to 9 billion in the past month. So, so that was my long winded answer. Killer app is, I think that it's, I mean, it's, it's an avenue for greater inclusion into the global economy and financial services and also a hedge against some of this truly demented monetary policy um, that governments are using right now to solve for for this crisis. Okay, that's very cool. Um, but I think my first thinking is given the drops in Bitcoin's value over the last few months, and we, we remember that it soared to unforeseen levels uh, in 2017, yeah. Would you still say that investing in Bitcoin's a good bet and sort of what proportion of someone's portfolio? We love giving advice for people sort of starting out yeah. or starting yeah. to dip their toe. For sure. So 2020 year to date, Bitcoin's up about 23%. Gold is up about 12%. And the S&P is down, I think last I checked was about 12, down by 12%. So so again, we've we've gone over that it is, considered um, a hedge against inflation. But in terms of where I'd buy it and where I'd put it in my portfolio right now, I would say 7% of any portfolio should be sort of an alternative investment sleeve. And that's where I would put um, gold. That's where I would put Bitcoin. That's where I would put rare art. That's where I would put sort of anything a bit alt is where I would put um, an investment in my portfolio. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the reason why it soared to such crazy heights, um, and I was actually able to pay off a little bit of debt in 2018, um, because Bitcoin went, I bought it at, I think, 6,000 bucks, and then a week later went to 20,000. A lot of that was just sort of hype and hysteria. Um, However, however there, are, uh, there are all these 22-year-olds driving around in Lambos because of that oh hype my and God, hysteria. I so it, <laughs> I know, we'll, we'll you, get into that in a second. But, yeah. but, but... One of the good things about the crash is that it did flush out a lot of the hype and hysteria, obviously, around 2018, 2019. And so now some of the recovery in price that we're seeing, like I said, year to date, it's up 23%, is is based on the fact that it actually, I think, you know, institutions, large institutions and governments globally are seeing and citizens um, are seeing that, you know, there actually is value to this asset and um, it, it's getting some real legs. So, sorry. So, yes, I would say if you're looking at investing, it is still a good time to get in because um, another interesting event that's happening in about a week and a half is the halving. So the built-in supply controls that um, kick in once every four years in Bitcoin um, is coming up on May 12th. And that's when half of the supply of newly minted Bitcoins, um, well, sorry, newly minted Bitcoin supply will then be cut in half. So instead of miners who complete the transaction and complete the computation for the next block, instead of them getting 12 newly minted Bitcoins, they're only going to get six. So, um, yeah, the supply and demand forces are definitely uh, in Bitcoin's favor coming up. And like I said, this QE infinity is also um, increasing the attractiveness. Plus, you've got major institutions getting into the space like Andreessen Horowitz, um, obviously JP Morgan. You've got governments looking at it. Um, foundations, endowment funds um, are all sort of looking at, you know, how can we hedge against this highly inflationary environment? Well, let's look at uh, assets that have scarcity and 
um, limited supply. So like the gold, like the Bitcoins, et cetera. Okay, so can I ask the like uh, very ele elementary question? If I were to say, all right, I'm gonna go put some cash in Bitcoin, what would I do? It's not like an S and P publicly traded stock. Uh, yeah. Do I have to like get on tour at the dark web? No. And I've heard of people, oh, no. you know, get to get a physical <laughs> wallet. Like I, I just please tell us. Yeah, like go buy yeah. it from some gremlin in a back alleyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, what you Don't can do basically. After midnight. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can do it in a traditional um, investment brokerage account. There are Bitcoin um, futures that are available on the CME. Um, or you can actually buy it as um, it, there's a closed end fund right now in Canada that I was involved with where you can buy um, uh, shares of the Bitcoin fund. It's called 3IQ. So that's that's publicly traded, and that's basically you're investing in a fund that holds that holds Bitcoin and um, asset managers who are who are um, doing the custody and the trading for you. Um, or you can just go to a crypto exchange directly, like a Coin um, Square, a Coinbase, or a um, Voyager Digital out of the U.S. And actually, just it's very easy to set up account, transfer money to it, and then just buy the, uh, the coin directly if you'd like. Okay, I might try and do this, and I'll maybe write a blog post walking through how I how I fare. Okay, oh, so amazing! And I would I would highly recommend doing it on um, Voyager Digital out of the U.S. is excellent. Um, otherwise, okay. Coin Square in Canada is is very good. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about this Bitcoin bro culture. So oh, I God. know there's all this mythos and lore. <laughs> there's Hodel. Which, as I understand yeah. it, is some guy on the internet made a typo. He meant to say hold, but it's hodl, uh, which is like the maximalist mantra of just like hold your Bitcoin no matter what happens. We're, yeah. we're, we're bought in for dear um, life. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I know I've been to a few Bitcoin conferences and it's just like the most socially awkward uh, but also intellectually self-superior bros. So oh, what yeah. do you have to say about this scene? And you are a vivacious woman in the scene. Um, yeah. And so don't if this is really this life-changing <laughs> technology, we want women involved. So what, what can we do totally. to make that happen? Totally. So, so I got really, I think I mentioned, I got really into the space in 2017. So right before Bitcoin took off. And for sure, the first time I went to like one of the, I think it was consensus in New York City. I was like, oh my God, this is like revenge of the nerds, the 40 year old virgins, 9,000. Like you had all these super geeks who essentially were spending their time playing on the fringes of the internet who were suddenly worth like millions and millions of dollars. And absolutely, I would go to these parties um, and, and talk to these people who were truly brilliant in, the, in their right mind. Um, but also like the groupies and the people who just got lucky. So like, you know, the Bitcoin bro is basically conflating luck with genius um, and then revenge of the nerds. So the nerds who were suddenly finally rich and relevant and like, let's be honest, getting laid. Um, and, and it created. I was like, going to say, like, did you like what woman would go to one of these things? Like you must have gotten hit on like a gazillion times. A second. No, I mean, I'm like, not like epic bitchy resting no. face. Yeah, um, and no, also like, like imagine there was that kind of confidence for that. Probably, I don't know. I, I, I like. I gotta defend the engineer nerds. Okay, 
<laughs> no, no, but the point is, but I think what was so awesome about it is because you had like it was such an extreme environment. Like you right. had truly like right. again, Vitalik Buterin, who is so smart. He's like ET, like he's not even from this planet. And then <laughs> all these people with these tangible ideas and knowledge of how code and cryptography could truly change the world and truly disrupt some of the demented um systems and structures we have in place right now in the financial services space. Um, so, so yeah, but I would say honestly, um, and I say this to all my friends who ask me similar questions, I think it is one of the most inclusive environments for women, um, and especially for transgendered, um, for gender fluid people. Like I'll list off, like I would, like there's at least, um, twist, like there are, well, no, I mean, there, there really is. Joanne like, and I are, are both surprised by this reaction, but we love it. Well, yeah, but I guess, uh, yeah, proof of concept and math doesn't care about gender. So in a way, it makes sense to me in the online. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and it's, right. And I really, really Code noticed don't this. don't care about gender. About, don't give a shit. So like, I, I really shit. noticed this about eight months into my job when one of the major CTOs who we work with at this other company like, I'm going to be super candid. If you have to, like, bleep out this story, I totally understand. We're basically, we're sitting in this boardroom. And I look up, and she and she is going over this whiteboarding session, whatever, whatever. And she's wearing this, like, terrible, like, she's brilliant, but she's wearing this, like, terrible jumpsuit. Like, you can, like, no bra. Um, but I could see the outline of, like, like a, like a penis in her pants. And I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, what am I looking at here? And then, so whatever, we finished the whiteboard session. And I was like, this is really weird. So I talked to one of my colleagues. And I was like, hey, did you know that, like, so-and-so, like, kind of looks like she's got a, like, a dick. Like, is, is she a man? And everyone was like, yeah, didn't you know? Like, she started transitioning, like, two years ago. Like, she, she, yeah, used to be a man, like, um, you know, has a kid, used to be married, but then decided she was a woman. And, but no one fucking talked about it because no one fucking cared because it doesn't matter versus i'm coming from a financial services background where that literally would have been the first thing on your first day someone would have said to you like oh by the way there's a tranny in the kitchen you might see don't be scared like like it was just it's such a different culture like and even like some of my developers will show up wearing um like cloaks and staffs and one of them has a different wig every day and no one says anything because again it's not about like your gender or or what you're wearing it's what can your brain do so I would say it's deeply deeply inclusive um and yeah you've got like like uh, like Cindy McAdam, who's the former CEO of Zappo. You've got Elizabeth Stark, Lightning Labs, like um, Meta Prelikar, CEO of Casper Labs, Jane Lippincott, who's like the Claire Underwood of the Winklevoss twins at Gemini. Like there are some serious powerhouse women. Um, Elizabeth Rossiello of BitPesa, CEO, um, who's basically solving for payment infrastructure uh, in Africa. Like I say, I see more women CEOs um, in Bitcoin and blockchain than I do anywhere else. Yay! Everything you're saying yeah. is is preaching to the choir, and it's also just really hitting a nerve with me. I was an electrical engineer, so I know all about. And I was the only woman in my class, so I I know that scene. Oh, man. and I would agree. Yeah. In so many ways, it was it was less it was exclusive in that for people like the concept of women doing this was still a new idea, even though it was yeah. the 2000s. 
but it you're compared to yeah financial services law firms things like that where it's so entrenched it was mm-hmm. different and i completely agree that math you know i had no problem with marks i had no problem with professors having whatever bias and and some of them certainly yeah, i saw it more in the older generation but it didn't matter because if i got the math right or the code right you, you win know, the marks are there you win no one can no yeah. one can question it no one can so i i love that and i'm so thrilled to hear that it's been a place of inclusion um oh big for time. women I, and and the trans community that's wonderful i actually i actually have one just one more quick story on that another thing i love about it so so my company we work with a lot of banks who are looking to blockchain and dlt distributed ledger to upgrade um their existing infrastructures and how different silos of data talk to each other. Anyways, but so um, I was sitting in a meeting with the head of one of the top five um, Canadian banks and the head chief compliance officer. And I was waiting for my CTO um, to come to arrive to the meeting. And she, so another thing is like fashion wise, like it's also a complete Cobb salad smorgasbord. Like there's no suits. It's just wear whatever you want, whenever you want. But point is my CTO, she, what was she wearing? No, my chief scientist, he showed up to the meeting and he'd just come from his boat. So he was holding like a boy and had like a life jacket on. And I'm pretty sure I hadn't showered in like a week and a half and looked like a crazed mad scientist slash homeless person and wasn't let into the building. Like the bank wouldn't let him in because they literally thought he was some crazy homeless person basically (laughs) trying to come in and like meet with the head of compliance. Finally, we go down with security, let him in, and he sits at the table. And I can tell again that this head of this head of the bank and chief compliance officer, they're like, "Who is this Yahoo?" Like, I'm calling security again to get back in here and kick you guys out in one minute. But within five minutes of the conversation, he's blowing them out of the water with his ideas, with talking about how you know the math and the coding is going to solve for some of their pro- for most of their problems. And just I loved watching these seasoned old school white haired executives sort of be put in their place. Cause you could tell when we first walked in that they were like, no, no, I'm not doing business with these guys. They're not in a suit, not interested. So it was cool. It's just, it's kind of cool to see how, you know, some of these white haired old dinosaurs are being forced to really sort of relook at what they, how they perceive the message. You know what I mean? Like have to, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. No, we're we're hearing you, and that's very cool. And I think that's part of the theme of of the disruptive, open minded technology. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so let's uh, put a bow on this and pivot to our money wins uh, to close mm-hmm. up this conversation. So, uh, a tip, something you spent money on, something you saved money on, whatever is money related that uh, that lit your fire over the last little while. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think if you have any money whatsoever and you can invest it, um, first of all, there's so many good and interesting verticals and industries that are on sale right now. Um, And that ETFs are the cheapest and best way to access a basket of stocks and sectors that are currently on sale. What I recently bought... um, uh, So two two investment themes I love right now, e-commerce, you know, as we talked about earlier... Amazon, we get it. 
it's the way of the future, the Shopify's. Um, so I've definitely bought some ETFs uh, that are investing in a basket of securities in the e-commerce space, but also um, REITs. So a lot of REITs have sold off, um, but some of the REITs that have been thrown out sort of like the ba- like with the baby in the bathwater are REITs that hold um, uh, things like Loblaws and like Amazon shipping warehouses. So I've been investing in those REITs and also um, REITs that and, and ETF REITs that um, are uh, invest in infrastructure that will be supporting 5G. So you know how the internet and um, mobile systems are now upgrading from 3G to 5G. So yes, and um, that caused coronavirus, right? I know, right? No, it yeah. didn't. Stop. Uh, <laughs> just, 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 just to jump in, just in case anybody doesn't uh, know, uh, REITs are real estate investment trusts. That's what our guest is referring to. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. R-E-I-T. So, so there, REIT. So there's one in particular, the ETF ticker is SRVR. And it's a it's a real estate investment trust that explicitly invests, um, I think it's mostly just in North America, but in infrastructure plays that will be supporting 5G infrastructure, um, and I think it pays a dividend payout of about 3.9%. So that's what I'm fired up about. Lots of good stuff on sale, and ETFs are a cheap and easy way to access. And yeah, that's that's what I am most excited about and have recently bought. Awesome. Um, okay, well, yes, I continue to dump as any money that I have into ETFs, tax refund, etc. cetera, um, but I'm inspired by your mom and her working girl style to share that I recently (laughs) needed a new pair of kicks. um, And I am an aficionado of white sneakers. I have like a million pairs of white sneakers. They're so fresh, so clean. Um, So I needed a new pair for the spring. And I ended up, I did some research and I ended up picking up a pair of Reebok classics, exactly the same as like the first ones I had uh, in the nineties came from sport check a couple of days later and they're so fresh and so comfy and yeah Amazing. wearing them with my with with my sweats and my skinny jeans and so i'll put a link to them so yeah reebok classics don't mess with the original and that's um it. and they look fire i actually have a pair of those too they look fire with the push socks and then bike shorts and the oversized sweater i love princess diana i don't know if you've seen and the also Allah, oh, and then and kardashian yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah i love that yeah, oh, it's hot. Yeah, yeah. That is fire. Um, I yeah. have to give my money win this week of something that I think a lot of people are doing that we haven't talked about, which is the very coveted hand sanitizer. Um, mm-hmm. This specific one I am holding was created by the Spirit of York Distillery Company. So they're an alcohol producer in Toronto who, like many alcohol producers, realized they had all of the ingredients to create hand sanitizers. Oh, amazing. Um, this cute blue bottle. And um, you buy it for $3. All the proceeds go to local food banks. So just a great initiative in the time of Corona when we all need a little extra sanitizer. Um, Love. And I know there's a number of uh, different distilleries that are doing this. But the one I'm really into is the Spirit of York, which rededicated its production facilities to producing uh, this cute blue hand hand sani right here in Toronto. Amazing. And we'll post a link to that as well. We'll drop a link. Yeah. You sure will. Okay, cool. Oh, well, thank you so much, Susie, for reaching out and joining us with your wealth of knowledge. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, ladies. Love what you're doing and can't wait to keep listening to more episodes.
Amazing. And let's let's try and get together and have a non-bro-ish crypto get together when when the plague is over. Would love that. Okay, love and dividends. Signing With off. Love and dividends. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. If you got value from this podcast, please share it with another woman who could benefit from the information that we shared. And please consider rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps with new podcasts. If you have questions about finances and investing, have suggestions for future topics or guests, please let us know. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram, love and dividends, or you can send us an email at hello at loveanddividends.com. With love and dividends.